Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. We have a really cool guest, Stephen Axford. He's an ambassador for Sony Australia and has a reputation as a specialist, as a nature photographer, in particular, uh, taking pictures of uh, mushrooms, fungi. I've seen a bunch of his videos on YouTube. They're really cool and the mushrooms are beautiful and amazing and strange and, and he's, uh, you know, he just comes across as a really nice fellow. So I'm really glad to have gotten him. And, uh, Stephen, thanks for being here. So it's a pleasure. Yeah. If you would, I know that you mentioned it in one of the videos, but what did you do before you started photographing mushrooms and what got you into it? Well, I, I worked in IT for, well, I started off my life working in mining and then I moved into IT and most of my life I worked in IT and, I mean, it pays very well and you know, I had quite a good life doing it, but it's not really that rewarding. You get to the end of a, a year and you think of what you did five years ago and it's all vanished. And my wife at the time died of breast cancer and I sort of felt I needed to reinvent myself and started going out into the bush and photographing fungi. Well, the fungi was incidental, really. I, I started photographing everything. And I liked walking oh, okay. along the bush by myself and came across these beautiful, brightly colored little mushrooms and started photographing them. Yeah. And things, things sort of moved on from there. I, I retired early from the computer industry because, well, partly they paid me enough so that I could afford to retire early, but uh, I never found it really rewarding. In the instant it was, but in the long term it wasn't. Mm. And then I, I started the fungi photography and never thought anyone would get to like it but I'd just do it because I liked it. And I was wrong. People started to really like it, particularly the time-lapse. Yeah, I, I see you've been recognized around the world for the work you do. And it looks like you've gotten a, you've been able to travel you know, to India and various countries and 
and China and work on the various fungi specifically in those places. So it's really cool. I guess it's, it seems like it's literally opened up a world of opportunities for you. Yeah, well, it, it sort of started about, I suppose, 2014, so what's that, seven years ago, and uh, an American blog called This Is Colossal asked me if they could feature my fungi photographs. I didn't really think anything of it, and I said, yeah, sure, off you go. And it turns out that This Is Colossal, while it doesn't have the millions of following that some other blogs have it's followed by all of the major magazines and art institutions in the world mm. and if you're published on this is colossal that's a big thing as i discovered i suddenly got invitations from pretty well every major nature magazine in europe and quite a few in other places china japan america was no one doing like time-lapse photography of fungi or was people were people doing photography of fungi at all like how uh how big of an impact have you made? How different has it been? Well, this was just, this is colossal, was just still photographs. The There were three things that happened. There was, this is colossal came along and they, they got me into all the magazines in Europe and so on. And then the BBC were looking for specifically um, luminous fungi. And they <laughs> sent me an email and asked if I knew anything about them and they were just really looking for information to start with. And I decided to, well, me and my partner, Catherine Marciniak, my wife, she suggested uh, I try and do some time lapse. Mm. So I, I set up the, we've got two showers. I took over one shower and full of, full of rotting logs. Fortunately, yeah. she's, a, she's a filmmaker, so she didn't mind. She encouraged me to do it and took a few time lapse of the luminous fungi and sent them over to the BBC, and they just loved them. That's cool. So they, they sent a producer over and provided a bit of equipment and um, sat back and waited to see what I could produce, and they ended up on uh, Planet Earth 2 with David Attenborough, and that was the making of the time lapse. And then at about the same time, I got an email from Peter Mortimer, who is a professor at the Kunming Institute of Botany, in China, and he invited me out there to work with them to photograph the fungi that they were documenting because a lot of scientists uh, document the fungi, but without the pictures, it's hard to get to a wider audience. You can get to the scientific audience, but outside that, it's not so easy. So I went over there, myself and Catherine went over there, in fact, and since then we've been over to Yunnan in China I think four times, India twice, Nepal once, Myanmar once. So it's spread, you know. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. So what if, um, you know, I, I, I would guess you've gotten really good at identifying various fungi species, but in observing them, photographing them, and especially the time lapses, what, how's your perception different? Like what have you learned by doing these time lapses and these observations that you didn't know before? Well, we've learned a lot, really, because you, when you do a time lapse of fungi, you don't just see it in the instant. You see it growing and developing, and you see the other life in the forest that interacts with the fungi. So, in a lot of cases, I might get a bit upset when things eat the fungi halfway through a time lapse. So, you've got this beautiful time lapse coming up, and suddenly, chomp, 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 it's gone. But the insects and animals are. Uh, integral to the life of the fungi as well that often they spread the spores so there 
Mushrooms are like the fruit on trees, so they're just for spreading the spores in this case, whereas fruit will be spreading, spreading seeds. But in a lot of cases, fruit relies on animals eating it as fungi relies on animals eating it. Okay. Are there any, um, are you working with anyone that tries to identify the medicinal applications of the fungi you find? Because, I mean, like how many new species do you believe that you found that people didn't know about before? It's very hard to say because we don't go out and search specifically for new species. But essentially, I'm a photographer, so I take pretty pictures. But in doing that, we can come across quite a few things. So there are new species that we've found or been involved in finding because we're, I'm not capable of analysing a mushroom and saying this is a new species. I have to hand it over to someone else. So it's always a collaborative effort with scientists, but we, we know a lot of scientists now and interact with them and they appreciate what we do and we certainly appreciate what they do. Couldn't get very far. You know, when you speak to local people, I'm sure they know, you know what the mushrooms are used for locally. Have you been surprised? Like the mushrooms seem to be used mostly just for food or are they used for medicines quite a bit? Like what have you learned about their uses? Well, they use them for medicines a lot. The, you know, in our travels through Asia, we always try and talk to the local people and find out what the mushrooms are used for. And, you know, obviously the, the main use of mushrooms is for eating, but there's very wide use in China and India and Nepal. And you know, most places, in fact, using fungus and lichen for medicinal purposes, either topical or eating them. So there, there is a lot. We try and take note of them. And in any films we do, we try and interact with the local people and find out what they're using the mushrooms for. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now, back to the show. Yeah, well, are there any particular stories you've heard from local people that surprised you on what they're using the mushrooms for or that, you know, the mushroom can do whatever it is the local people are telling you it can do? Not really. The most of the uses, uh, yeah, I don't think there's anything that's been a real surprise to us. There's hmm. lots of things about mushrooms that are, but you know, the the human use of mushrooms is one aspect of what we do or what we try to do. And the, I suppose the broadest aspect is educational, getting people to learn about mushrooms and to appreciate the beauty and the complexity of mushrooms. Right. Are there any favorites that you've developed, you know, for, and, and for what reason, like which ones do you like the most or are they a favorite? The latest one we're looking at is the favorite, I suppose. We spent a little time recently in doing a little bit of traveling around the local areas and it's winter. So there's not terribly many mushrooms out, but there's lots of lichen, which are fungi and algae. 
in a symbiosis. So we mm. concentrated on the, on the lichen at the moment. So whatever whatever's available. Before that, we were focused a bit on um, cordyceps fungi, which are fungi that live on insects. Mm, yeah, I've this, seen them like sprouting out of the heads of ants and stuff. You know? Yeah, exactly. But we found in a local area that there's lots and lots of these that are tiny on the the underside of leaves and these mm. little little specks about a millimetre across maybe, which you would never notice normally. You look there at them under a magnifier and they're little cordyceps fungi. So cordyceps keeps, in a lot of cases, keeps insects in balance because if you get too many insects, then they eat everything. So the, the fungi eats the insects. What about uh, slime molds or, you know, in your... In your research into the field, do you ever have to use like a magnifying glass or, you know, anything to help you see the really tiny stuff? Well, I I often use, uh, you know, I'll use magnifying lenses. So I'll use a macro lens, one-to-one macro, or even up to a five-to-one macro and take photographs that way. So that once the photograph is taken, you effectively got a, a highly magnified view. But I, I've got a little magnifier. Actually, I'm playing with it in my hand at the moment. So that if I go out in the field and we find something really small, it's good to look at it under the magnifier to start with because you don't know what you're going to be able to find otherwise. Yeah, I, I saw that you had like a little, um, uh, I know it looked like one of those in, like foam things you'd, you know, you'd like a paddle board in a swimming pool. And I saw that you used to, you were leaning on it to take photographs. My <laughs> wife likes to take photographs. So I told her to get one of those and she uses it and it saves her knees and, it makes it easy to carry and photograph stuff. So that was a really cool trick. Yeah, I've been doing that for a while because uh, I'm getting a bit old and my knees aren't all that, that good anymore. And you out in the bush, you're either kneeling in a puddle, in which case you get quite wet, or you're kneeling on hard stones, which is very tough on the knees. Mm-hmm. I'm just carrying a, you know, I carry my little kid's paddleboard around and use that as foam, but, uh, you know, a bit of, Wetsuit rubber will work as well. There's little tricks like that, how to survive in the bush photographing mushrooms. Yeah, I thought that was really cool that you did that. So I just want to let you know that, you know, that was a good hack that, that she uses. So I appreciate it. Are there, uh, I don't know, do you, do you deal with, uh, like, so you look at, uh, fungi and then you also look at, uh, lichen, I guess. And do you look at slime molds and a lot of these other microorganisms or small organisms or do you stick mostly with fungi? If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Well, we get slime mold is one of these strange things that I think no one wanted it to start with. So it stayed with mycologists because it looks a little bit like fungi, fungi as we call it. So, and we tend to see a lot of slime mold in spring when there's a lot of nutrient left on the surface of logs and the, the first range, you get a lot of slime mold. They tend to be very, very small, and you know my eyes really aren't all that good anymore. Mm. So, but if I find a slime mold that's nice and young and looks good, then I'll, I'll try to photograph it at all times. I've got quite a collection of them now. They're, they're certainly they're fun to time lapse as well. They're difficult okay. to predict. Often, often I'll get a time lapse and I'll be time lapsing a particular fungus. And then a slime mold will just come through and wipe the whole thing out. Oh, really? Just, 
totally unexpected. I sort of see it appear from the on the side of the frame and poof, okay, and the mushrooms. Anything uh, uh, interesting come up on the time lapses that was was unexpected? Like you said, sometimes creatures will come and eat the mushrooms, but you know, I saw in some of the time lapses like these tiny little bugs running all over the mushrooms. Um, but again, is there like one on what unexpected stuff have you seen on the time lapses? Well, we were doing a time lapse of some beautiful little blue mushrooms in Tasmania. And the, the particular time lapse I was doing at that stage wasn't working all that well, but we saw this web appear below the, the mushrooms. And to start with, I thought it must have been spiders. But then on closer examination, it looked like a glowworm. Now, I, I'd photographed glowworms before, and I thought that that would be spectacular, wouldn't it, to have a blue mushroom with um, glowworms spinning their webs underneath. But no, it wasn't a glowworm. It's what's called a, a fungus gnat. And fungus gnats are a group of insects that live on fungus. And the glowworm is actually part of this group, and they've changed to feed on live insects. But the fungus gnats we were photographing there spun their webs underneath the mushrooms. And when the mushrooms dropped their spores, they coated the web and the insects ate the spores. So we became very distracted for a while and <laughs> investigating fungus gnats. And we That's find really cool. them all over the place. Yeah, and I didn't realize that the mushrooms work uh, kind of collabor- collaboratively with them. Yeah, the mushrooms are a whole ecosystem. Mushrooms probably as important as plants, and they don't quite make up the mass that plants do because trees can be enormous, but they're a significant portion of it. So there's a lot of insects and a lot of life that lives on mushrooms, and they're the the masters of symbiosis. Mm. So their mushrooms live symbiotically with trees. They live symbiotically with algae to form lichen. They, they live symbiotically with so many things that it's it's a real eye-opener. You get down the forest floor and you see that everything is connected, including Have us. Have you seen um, mushrooms growing in very strange places, like very high up or places you would never suspect to see them? Well, that's where the, the lichen comes in. The lichen will survive in what we consider outrageous conditions. That there's, there's not many mushrooms that have been found in Antarctica, and most of them, I think, have been found in old huts and things like that. But there's lichen that lives in Antarctica. I think in the the dry valleys where nothing else will live at all, there's lichen growing on the rocks. And in the Atacama Desert, I think, there's lichen growing underneath the grains of sand and fungus there. So the the only problem with finding fungus in conditions like that, it tends to be very hidden. Lichen can be quite out in the open, the top of a a dry mountain. The rocky outcrops there are covered with lichen usually. I, I don't know. Is your passion? Uh, are you getting bored of funny of, of photographing the mushrooms, or is it just a, an ongoing fascination? And like, are there any signs of you? Uh, you know, getting bored with it or you see yourself doing it for a long time in the future? No, I, I think fungus is one of these things that can keep you amused for many, many, many lifetimes. The latest estimates I've seen are about 6 million different species of fungus on this planet. Wow. Of which they've named about 150,000. So 
you know, you go out, even even here, we, we go out and there's a fungus that they'll name the same as, say, European or North American species. Then when they do a DNA analysis on it, they find it's not. It's mm. actually a different species. So even when things look the same, they can be different. And discovering new species that you mentioned before, I imagine, well, I'll give you an example. Our Chinese friends, when they go out into the field, 20% of the fungus they collect is new to science every oh, wow. time. So they go out to one place, they can go out to the same place at a slightly different time and still 20% is new to science. So it's a, it's a never-ending discovery. The more I've got into it, the more obsessed I've become, really. So are there um, in the same area of forest or wherever you go, like depending on when you go, there's different fungi there? Yeah. We went uh, into the forest after the bushfires in Australia a year or so back. And almost immediately after the fire, fungus would come up and it would be species of fungus that don't come up at any other time apart from after a fire. So some areas we went into hadn't had a fire for 100 years. These mushrooms were fruiting. They fruit once every 100 years or once every time there's a fire. That's crazy. It's amazing. All right. So, you know, I know with COVID and everything, things are restricted more, but do you have trips planned in the near future or like where are you going to go next when the weather warms up to, you know, to photograph? Well, we're probably going to stick to Australia for a little while because because of COVID and the difficulties of travelling. We know we've got a standing invitation to go back to China. We've got an invitation to go to Mexico and Nepal as well. So and I think India as well we could go back to. But it's a matter of, you know, the art of the possible and it's possible to travel around Australia on occasions at the moment and we'll do that because there's plenty to there's plenty to find here. There's plenty to find everywhere, really, anywhere where you can get out. I think, you know, even in big cities, perhaps, but uh, I'm not a city person, really. I like to keep out in the out in the country and anywhere then is quite good. The more native forests, the better. Any recommendations for amateurs listening that want to find their own mushrooms? Like, you know, does it have to be wet outside? Are there times of day that are better? Like, what have you found is uh, the sweet spot where you have the maximum chance of finding stuff? Well, generally speaking, mushrooms like it wet. So whenever it rains, mushrooms do have seasons. So in, in different places there, like in um, North America, I, I think most of the places you'll find there's um, autumn or fall, as you call it. That's mm-hmm. when the mushrooms come out. Where we live here... It's subtropical, so it's more summer rain. So in Florida, I guess you'd get summer rain in the same way, and that's when the mushrooms come out there. So it's learning the local conditions. But basically when it's wet, the wetter it is, the more mushrooms are going to come out because mushrooms are basically just like balloons filled up with water. You see that when mushrooms develop, Virtually the whole mushroom is developed as a tiny little thing and then it's pumped full of water and expands. So if there's no water, it's difficult for it to grow. But you mm. get mushrooms out in the desert, they don't fruit very often. And when they fruit, they just pump up full of water and they tend to be quite solid so that they survive. So the, the best times, you know, for a given climate, it's better to go, like you said, in autumn and then what, spring? Like what's the the two best times to go? Well, spring is not so good in most cases. If you get wet, if there's, you know, a lot of rain in spring, the mushrooms will come out. 
that I, I say autumn because a lot of mushrooms, what's called ectomycorrhizal, which means they're in a symbiosis with trees. So that, and then the mushrooms, generally speaking, will just come out in autumn. So that okay. when, when the trees are, you know, sucking their sap back up and settling down to go to sleep for winter, then the mushrooms come out. So, you know, the the red and white mushrooms underneath pine trees, the Amanita muscaria, they'll all come out in autumn. The chanterelles, things like this. A lot of the edible mushrooms come out in autumn. But as I said, around where I live, it's subtropical and you get into tropical climates there, all the mushrooms will come out with the rain in summer when it's humid and rainy. So they don't, they don't like it so much when it's dry. But you you have to find out each local area will have its own times when the mushrooms come out. At different times that it might be autumn for the larger mushrooms, but then the smaller mushrooms might come out at a slightly different time. But we okay. we just we learn each place has its own characteristics you know there's similarities but you have to learn what they are yeah understood well very good Stephen. so what's the best way for people to find out and see your work is it just go to youtube and uh, look up uh stephen axford or what's the best way well you can look up uh stephen axford and there's my website which is a smug mug website but just look up steve axford or stephen axford and you'll get onto that We've also got a um, a site called Planet Fungi, and we do we do films. So that if you go onto Planet Fungi, you'd be able to see various of the films that we've done. Because Catherine's a, a filmmaker, and I'm a photographer, and we combine very nicely with this sort of thing. Okay, well, very good. Well, Stephen, thank you for coming on the podcast. And I know it's not easy for you because you're in a remote, remote area, but uh, it's really cool to talk to you. So, thank you for being here. My pleasure. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.